You are tuned in to Thursday Night Talk here on KHSU. Tonight, Eric Kirk is our host. We welcome your contributions. You can give us a call at 826-4805 or at 800-640-5911 toll-free. We also accept text messages at 492-KHSU. All right, this is uh, Eric Kirk. I have with me tonight Brandy Wilson, uh, director, uh, executive director and founder of the Humboldt Area Center for Harm Reduction, and Dr. Bill Hunter of the Open Door Clinic. Uh, we want to talk a little bit about, uh, a, well, the opiate crisis, of course, but also an article recently that appeared in the New York Times. What's the name of the writer? Um, we Jose can- Del... Del Real. Okay. All right. And um, and it is available online for anybody who wants to check it out. But we want to uh, we want to address some concerns about the article and and maybe some um, you know a- aspects, and then talk a little bit about what is actually being done about the opiate crisis, what can be done. We'll talk a little bit about the resources that are available. But uh, Brandy, why don't I ask you first? What does your organization do? We're a harm reduction organization that really focuses on supporting people where they're at and people who are experiencing substance use chaos or use in general. Um, We do a lot of services. Our most contentious service is syringe exchange, um, and that's the one we do the least amount of hours. (laughs) <laughs> but that's the one that's the most controversial, even though it's something that's been done for decades in communities across the country. And, you know, although with a few problems, it's usually successful in, in reducing spread of of infectious diseases, correct? Yeah, it's especially with communities of injection drug users, it's mm-hmm. pretty much one of the preferred methods, though, that and condoms. It used to be right. AIDS, AIDS was a, uh, a primary concern, but also Hep C and, and even other uh, diseases. It, it helps to prevent people mm-hmm. trade in used syringes, and you give them clean ones. Yes. Right. Uh, and Dr. Hunter, um, you are uh, you work for Open Door Clinic. I do. And you have had some involvement with these issues. Can you maybe describe <coughs> a little bit about? Yeah. Well, we're uh, we're involved from the medical side. Mm-hmm. Um, Community health centers in general are positioned to take on and to deal with whatever public health emergency is present. You know, in the 80s when HIV became prevalent, it was the community health centers that stepped in and provided diagnosis and treatment and support for HIV-infected people. And the current public health scourge that's affecting us all now is uh, the opioid epidemic, mm-hmm. as you say. <coughs> Excuse me. And so from from the from our side, from the open door side, we're we're involved. We're involved in the community coalition. There's a large number of people that have met once a month from all parts of our community, from law enforcement to the coroners to um, the IPA to the local medical society to the hospital representatives and the open door. And we've been meeting monthly for um, a couple, three years. Maybe I can't remember exactly. At least three years. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and lots of efforts are going on. My particular part, Open Door's particular part, which we're proud of, is that we have been leaders, actually leaders in the state, in providing medication-assisted treatment for people who want our help with opioids, specifically opioid addiction. We have a good medication for that. We don't have a good medication for meth, but we have a good medication for um, opiate addiction, and we're proud of our program. Now, um, opiate addiction, of course, has received um, national attention recently. What is an opiate? What are we talking about? Either of you is fine. <laughs> well, I mean, to define opiates, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a drug, a collection of drugs. Opioids in general are a collection of drugs, and they're, it's a, they're narcotics. Um, there's some synthetic and some natural narcotics. The names that you'll know will be um, hydrocodone, oxycodone, all the codones, codeine, mm-hmm. heroin is a synthetic one, um, methadone, morphine. Th- this whole group of compounds is, um, has widely been used for eons for a number of things, for pain control, um, for getting high, and for and then... It also has these compounds have the capability or the property that when they're used for a period of time, they um, create a, an, addic- an addiction and dependence and very difficult to get loose from. Yeah. 
Um, and now, obviously, not all of them are injected, right? I mean, this is right. you have uh, some celebrities have actually made headlines for right. misusing uh, prescriptions right. and the rest, and uh, and so it takes all forms. But why is it in the news now as opposed to other drugs? We've we've had what we call the crack epidemic. Heroin was a big issue for many years. Now, heroin is in 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 the opiate family, right? Yes. So, yeah, and uh, and why is it why is it such? How is it that we go from one drug to another? Meth was like the real problem drug ten years ago. Yeah. Our cycles of drug use are secular. This mm-hmm. isn't. This is like the third or fourth resurgence of opioid opioid use in our country. You know, it was in the eighteen uh, nineties, and then nineteen twenties. <laughs> 1950s, 1970s, and here we are again. Um, so I don't know how many I just That's rattled off, but like, few. and then methamphetamine. You know, the we're in a couple bouts of that in rural areas. That's pre- stayed pretty common, but um, drug use is secular. So, so. right. Mm. I, I, I mean, I imagine somebody's analyzed it. Maybe it has to do with availability. Something gets oversold of one, prices of others drop, and then people go for that. I mean, it's probably very complex. Very complex. <laughs> and the reason we're talking about it now is just because it has to come to national attention. There's just a huge, big problem um, and a lot of people dying. Yeah. Um, and, it, and in fairness, it was fueled largely by prescriptions. Mm-hmm. Um pain medications which were this the the times have changed and the strategies have changed and medical um, advice has totally changed in the last maybe five to ten years but ten years ago we were all being encouraged to prescribe more and more and a lot of people got kind of addicted or hooked on uh, opioids unwittingly that way that was a tragedy that we're still paying for to some extent how is it killing people well People overdose. Yeah. yeah. People take too many. They take a mixture of either drugs that they forgot. Maybe they take took an extra dose of earlier that day, a combination of their normal drugs and perhaps one extra glass of wine that can make your body um, turn its breathing response off. And so just slowly stop breathing and then your brain stops functioning and you just for injection drug users they sometimes miscalculate Mm -hmm. sometimes if you've been clean or just come out of jail and you're a dose you're used to before you're not used to anymore can be too much Uh, and then the big fear now of course is that it might be getting laced with things you didn't expect i.e. fentanyl Mm -hmm. so it's kind of hard to track that the reason I ask is one of the national interviews involved in an interview with somebody who's on the street and addicted who's convinced that he will die of it within the next couple of years I mean how can he be so certain of that it's pretty certain Uh, if if housing isn't available if a sustained safe environment isn't available and in which your medicated assisted treatment is probably going to be the most successful you're probably going to continue use and you're probably going to end up dead be it from infection because a lot of infection comes with injection drug use because there's been a lot of um there's just lack of of being able to get to services or lack of education and information around proper injection techniques um that one's really contentious uh if just putting barriers up around that information can kill people mm-hmm. in many ways um yeah i mean and that's a, a really you know depressing story to, to, <laughs> depressing and you must encounter that a lot people you know you're probably not going to see you get to know them and you may not they may not be around in a few months or a couple yeah. of years that happens a lot um <laughs> One of the worst ones was a, there's a woman that she was one of the first people that ever came to our exchange and over time she started getting grumpier and grumpier and the last time I saw her you know she was almost in and on and she was like man I'm turning into those people I hate and I was like well hey if you need anything let me know um, 
And then she overdosed in the bathroom. Mm. And I didn't see her again. So, yeah, our jobs over there are hard. What possessed you to get into this? Um, I had lost a number of people to overdose. A lot of people in my life have or had have hep C. And um, I've dealt with substance use issues in my life, in my history. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, why don't we sort of move into... Oh, it, it, is it true, according to the article, that Humboldt County is at five times... <clears throat> the rate of counties in California in terms of opiate addiction? I mean, do we know? It's, I suppose. You know, whenever you run statistics on health statistics in the state of California, Humboldt County ranks at the top of whatever the bad and, thing and is. And why is that? Might be, might be from... Well, why? I mean, you could speculate forever. I have a pet theory that at least part of it can be explained by our demographics. We have a group... You know, this, this whole thing came out... Um, a few years ago that almost all demographic groups are increasing in their life expectancy, but mm-hmm. there's one group whose life expectancy was decreasing, and that's poor white people. Mm. And in Humboldt County, we have a really disproportionate share of poor white people. So whatever that is, whether it's um, job stuff, whether it's injury, whether it's a breakdown of the family, whether it's disability, whether it, you could think about how, in a number of different ways. but. Um, the we just have a so you could look at things like um, you know cardiac deaths you could look at things like breast cancer you could look at the, almost anything you look at we're high at so yes it is true we have a, a higher overdose rate part of it also is is that you know we're a small county so small numbers make for big rates right so that's mm-hmm. a kind of a tricky uh, calculation in there but it's it's I don't want to downplay it it's a big problem but I do think that it's partly a reflection of kind of our society pressures and how difficult it is to be poor yeah poverty <clears throat> poverty is the overarching theme in almost every single situation I see every day whether it's, yeah because there are drug users who have money but they don't come see me right mm-hmm. and then and you can't separate it out from like kind of a breakdown of like family structures and other kinds of structures because you know um it we don't have really good data on it but i would wager everything that we have a really high rate of people in humboldt county who have a number of really difficult adverse childhood experiences mm-hmm. almost almost all the people that i see who are the most disrupted and the most addicted and the most psychotic and the most troubled and the most have the most trouble in life are people who've been just so badly damaged from such an early time that um anyway there was a that's summit, also a related phenomenon there was a summit <laughs> recently mm-hmm. in, in eureka about ace about yeah. um and, and, uh, yeah. and a lot of different uh, people were involved you were there right or i wasn't at that town hall okay but it was it was yeah I, I was there it was wealth uh worth it and hopefully we'll address some of that uh, one of the women in the new york times article also said that if you know people had homes they may use less not that they may, they will. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been a number of studies come out that prove time and time again that, yes, people use less if housed because they're stable. So if they have mental health medications, they can take them regularly, and they generally do. And so it, that reduces the amount of drugs that people feel they need and that they do take. Mm-hmm. Um, safety, then, is much less of a concern. Just general being and the ability to stop um all of yeah housing right <laughs> very much so um one, one of the, i just want to mention too that one of the di- kind of disappointing things in the, the new york times article or at least i felt it to be unbalanced was that there's quite a bit of work actually being done on that right you, you from betty chin to the St. Joseph's Hospital is sponsoring a bunch of um, like respite housing and other kinds of housing things. There, there are things being done. It's way inadequate, and there's definitely people who can't find housing and who are suffering because of it. But there also is attention to that and quite a bit of work actually being done here. Yeah, I think from my perspective, what I got out of what they were discussing in that article around homeless issues is the people that are left that we're chasing around. So... 
Yes, they didn't tell everyone that has done everything, um, you know, good job. And he even told me, you know, he fought for every inch of space and he did the best he could. Um, but he wanted to make sure that our area got help. And if everything looks shiny, we're not going to get the help we need. And yesterday, Senator Feinstein called me, or her office called me, to find out what our community needed. So I understand that, like, people might be upset. And, dear God, I am so grateful for all of our community partners and for Open Door shouldering all of this for so long. Before it was a discussion, before anyone gave a dang, before any of that, Open Door had everybody and so I think that was a major disservice from from my stance was that we did they did talk a little about treatment, but they didn't talk about open door. That was my sadness. I was, um, and that they didn't make it a little bit more that there is a community <coughs> fighting because there is. And so I wish we all had editorial um, privileges <laughs> and... You know, there were things I would have liked changed. I would have liked to not use the word distribution because, well, people do a witch hunt after me. So that word and needle by needle only inflames my my issues, right? But mm-hmm. the overall issue is the our national senator now wants to know what our community needs. So I feel like that's a community win. Right. I can see that. Listen, you're listening to KHSU. This is Thursday Night Talk. My name is Eric Kirk. My guests are Brandy Wilson of the Humboldt Area Center for Harm Reduction and Dr. Bill Hunter of Open Door Clinic. Uh, We are unable to take live calls tonight, but we will uh, take your calls and your questions uh, at 826-4805. Or if you're out of the area, 1-800-640-5911. That's 826-4805 or 800-640-5911. Five nine one one. You can also send us a text, uh, which the question will be read over the air uh, at 707-492-KHSU. That's 707-492-KHSU. And if you didn't get any of those numbers, you can go to our website, khsu.org, and obtain them there. Um, so you, you mentioned be- before um, that, uh, that um, you've... You, not everybody is happy with this, with what you're in, in the community is happy with what you're doing, and that word distribution seems to have a stigma to it, and so you hesitate mm-hmm. to say it. Um, what what are the issues there? Why are they objecting? What is it that's there? And as you said earlier, it's a very small part of your your performance. It reminds me of Planned Parenthood. Abortion is actually a very small <laughs> part of what they do, and yet it's like played up as, as if it's the only thing they do. Right, and everybody has them wrapped up in defending abortion all the time mm-hmm. instead of doing their jobs. Mm-hmm. You know, to the to the their, yes, they do their jobs, but like to the fullest and absolute best with all their resources instead of having to be wrapped up in a bunch of people that don't have the desire to come to an understanding of facts and information. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think most of the people that are willing to engage in fact have already. And many people I talk to and I don't talk to. Many people that talk about me talk that... Um, That well, that it enables people. It makes it possible people yeah. to take drugs as if right. they're not going to do it. Right. Right. So mm-hmm. before we existed, um, people did drugs, and before <laughs> any other, you know, there have been syringe. There are there's many syringe exchanges in the county. So it's not that they're mad at syringe exchanges. They're actually only mad at mine. Um. Mine, apparently, they say, is uh, run by a junkie and has no accountability or credibility. Um, Unfortunately, none of that's true. Uh, Why do you think you're being targeted? There's a lot of reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, One, I'm unapologetically 
taking a stance that my organization, people who use drugs, the people that we serve, that we get to say what services are right for us, how we have a voice in them, and we get to ask for policies that will keep us alive and get us into services that we decide are appropriate for our lives because we are full autonomous human beings that can make grown rational decisions mm-hmm. if the opportunity is given. Uh, and, and, that was a rant. <laughs> no, that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. I mean, obviously, if people have, you know, the, the whole idea is that people should obtain control of their lives, right? Yeah. I mean, that, that, and in order for them to have control of their lives, they have to have control of their lives. So they have to make the choices. And in order to do that, you have to be fully informed and the real and actual information at the level that people need to make these decisions. And that also is ruffling feathers, Um, you know, really discussing drugs at their level of why we do them and being real about it, Um, you know, that's just encouraging use. These are drugs already being used by the people already using them. Now we're just going to have a conversation so that we can dispel the gossip and myths about drugs because that is very real. Um, You know, I've heard so many times, oh, I'm going to stop using heroin and I'm just going to start slamming meth because I can't die. And as we know in this community, all too well, that is absolutely not real. Like Dr. Hunter was saying, our methamphetamine-related deaths are higher than our opiate ones. You know, Mm. our opiate ones went down one last year and our meth went up. Whatever it was, a few. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so... We have to work to dispel those types of myths. Um, now, it was it was some of this, uh, some of the vitriol online that actually kind of led, to, drew the attention of the New York Times reporter. Is that correct? Yes, yeah. the vitriol online, and then the the go round in Eureka City Council for so long. Um, all of that led to. Can you tell us what that's about? What, what was happening there? Just a short summary. So we initially started with a basic needs-based policy, which was, what do you need? Okay. And that was, we did that because that was the recommendation of the state because of our high HCV rates. Hepatitis C. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> and I which forget. Which hepatitis C is, it, 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 yeah, a very serious. It's a big deal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Um, where were we at? We, we were talking about the city council. Oh, yeah. So then this one time there was a picture and there had been a cleanup and there was a camp cleaned up and syringes that were in that camp were brought in front of a skate park that was also in the park and pictures were taken and there were sharps containers there, but And then that went all over the community, and then uproar happened, and then everybody said, what about the children? And I said, wait, wait, these are people's children, too. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we've now really worked very hard with a lot of partners, um, and we have put in a lot of work, and so have our consumers and our lead peers, to really remedy the needle litter situation. And um, that still apparently isn't sufficient to the specific group of whatevers. And, um, you know, no matter, no matter when you meet the goal line, the goal post is moved. So I'm done meeting the goal line. Right. All right. And so there, there has been some, uh, you've actually received some threats. On, online, correct, or at least implied. Nope. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, my home address has been published. My phone number has been published. Um, I have need a bullet between my eyes. There are two wonderful gentlemen who stalk our program. One of them says he has a concealed carry and he stands across the street. The other one stalks my program the county exchange and the raven project and he does some really questionable things so 
Yeah. No, there's a few, and they're incessant. And so this is something on your mind a lot as you're trying to do your work. Yeah. And that's um, and so apparently some of this caught the attention of the reporter, and the reporter came to do um, a. Um, you know, a job just covering the issue in general. And uh, as I understand it, um, it, it sounds like it did a good thing in terms of drawing attention, and maybe we'll get at least some attention for a while, maybe some resources from state and maybe, who knows, federal. I mean, that's a federal senator. Um, but but they, apparently my understanding is there are some, you take issue with some of the facts in the article. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I'm I'm actually feeling glad to hear Brandy's perspective on this because I didn't know where that article came from and and I also am pleased to know that if it does give us attention and if it's an if it's an advocacy thing then I can maybe let go a little bit of my personal (laughs) kind of hurt about the whole thing but I think my reaction and I think the reaction of a lot of the people who are in the coalition was that we feel as though we've been working really really hard and we feel as though we've been doing really really a lot of work we feel as though we saved a lot of lives, and we have a lot of people who are working and taking care of kids and stuff who not long ago were spending every minute that they had looking for where their next fix was going to come from. And we feel like that's really good work, and we feel like we're leaders in that. Right. Because people from all over the state are calling us to say, how can we do that? And when we look at the statistics, we the number of prescriptions, for example, for Medicaid-assisted treatment that we do here in Humboldt way outpaces. I mean, we're way at the top of that list if you want to get a good list for us to be on. So I think there was a group of us that reacted to that article by saying, by just feeling kind of dispirited. You know, mm-hmm. here is a national paper highlighting, like, this terrible scourge of our community without... And, and making it sound as if nobody's doing anything. Sure. And, you know, in what Connie Stewart or somebody with her said this morning was, uh, you know, we in Humboldt, it sounds like we threw up our hands, but no, we rolled up our sleeves. Mm-hmm. And we, that's how we feel. We feel like we've been working really hard. And we just feel disappointed and sad and maybe a little angry that we didn't get propers for that, you know? <laughs> oh, no, there was anger this morning, and it was directed at me, and I, w- I would really like to say I uh, didn't write it, and I'm not the editor, and yeah. I didn't really have a say other than, hey, here's a bunch of community partners. Go talk to them. Please don't make it about us, because you're going to get me killed. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Yeah, I'm super sorry that happened, Dr. Hunter. <laughs> well, um, I mean, we could just take this moment in this public forum just to give a shout-out to the things that we've been doing in the coalition. I mean, we, the, the, the medical community has worked pretty hard on policing their own prescribing practices from the emergency rooms to the hospitals to academic detailing. Um, we've been working in coalition with the, the coroners and the and the health department to try to understand the depth of the issue. We've worked really hard on spreading medication-assisted treatment. The other, the, there's a thing happening now that probably w- that we'll learn more about. This Aegis company is is coming to town. Um, they were going to have a, a facility where Eurocopies was, but they've changed that because they got a little pushback from there. Uh, th- this article in the Times made it sound like they're going to come in here and, and solve our problem or something. Right. And that was kind of, yeah. uh, we don't really know how that's going to work. I mean, we're hopeful that they will be a help. We're worried because they're a for-profit organization that is not of our community, is not particularly organic. And Aegis does not have any experience at all in going into a community that has a pretty good penetration of medication-assisted treatment already. Mm-hmm. They, their model primarily is to go into communities that have no treatment available and to start with methadone program. And, you know, for those of us that do the kind of work that I do, we feel that methadone is an inferior drug to buprenorphine for medication-assisted treatment in almost every way. Mm-hmm. We do hope that there are people that we fail with that need that can use a more intensive service and maybe there maybe methadone is going to be helpful for some for some people some people might do better with that people that we can't reach and we're looking forward to ways of partnering with them and and making but we're just not quite sure how that's going to work i don't think they are really either so that was another part of the article just one more little factual thing while i'm doing my rant since i I get a chance to do my little rant was there was a I have no idea why they said in that article that there's 700 people on a list waiting for a treatment. That's just is not 
They didn't say that. Senator McGuire said between Shasta, Del Norte, and Trinity counties, there are probably five to 700 people waiting for Medicaid-assisted treatment. Oh. Senator McGuire said that. That's why it was in there. Yeah, but, it, it looked, but he wasn't quoted in the Times article, and it, was, and it was actually, I'll go back and read it again, but the way I read it, it looked at those, those in our community with 700 people. And in our particular community, there's not. There, I mean, we don't right. have anybody who's come to Open Door for assistance, for medication assistance. We've been, I mean, the longest I've ever heard of is like three or four weeks. And right now, it's pretty good. I can say two years ago, it was like six months. Today, it was 11 people. And that's <laughs> awesome, Open yeah, Door. And that is Eureka Open Door. That's not even North Country Clinic, which traditionally is way faster. Right. Um, but and Del Norte, and, yeah. and now in Willow Creek. So, so anyway. I know that statistic because that's the one, one of the ones I got screamed at for this morning. <laughs> so I went back and read it a few times. And yes, Senator McGuire said that within those counties, it's estimate he's estimating that between five and seven hundred people. And so I figure with maybe. Del Norte just starting their RX Safe and Trinity. That that might that might be true. You're listening to KHSU. This is Thursday Night Talk. My name is Eric Kirk. My guests are Brandy Wilson of the Humboldt Area uh, Center for Harm Reduction and Dr. Bill Hunter of the Open Door Clinic. We are talking opiate crisis. We're talking the New York Times article. We are talking about, well, why don't we talk about what the resources are available? That's um, a good idea. You know, that's, uh, so that um, you know, not only can reporters cover it, but people out there can know who to refer to. we're looking at each other um in terms of medication assisted treatment why don't we start with that i mean obviously this is a multifaceted problem like everything's got social issues if we could improve you know the economy improve employment and 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 housing obviously that would be a real uh, you know a a boon that would actually mitigate the problem considerably um and we've got a lot of issues here we have student Mm -hmm. homelessness i mean we've got you know the school i think maybe invites more people than they can you know handle for housing than the community can handle for housing so that probably plays into it as well we need more housing we need uh, uh more funding so we can we can talk about those things but from a medical uh perspective or from somebody who who needs some type of attention and resources now where where do they start well, uh, well, they start over here, generally, <laughs> okay. or they start over at Open Door. Or Waterfront now. So um, it's, it's a moving target because the treatment op- options, within the Open Door Clinic, the treatment options are expanding quite a bit. Most recently, we've established a program in Willow Creek. We're sort of partnering with, uh, with Kamau and the, the Hoopa tribe. to. Mm-hmm. We're, we're hoping to support them in getting their program up and running. But we're, I've, been down, I've been out in Willow Creek each week for the last month and mostly doing that out there <coughs> um our our office in fortuna our, our new doctors in fortuna working for open door um, most of them have the ability to prescribe buprenorphine for medication assisted treatment and their program is really growing that's uh, it's right now it's in ferndale because of space constraints but when the new clinic in in fortuna opens in august which by the way is going to be a gorgeous thing of beauty <laughs> um <coughs> That program will move there and, and will probably expand. In the southern part of the county, there's a nurse practitioner at Rebels Rural Health Center who I think is starting a program there. They may be doing it at Phelps. I'm not quite sure about that. Um, I know that Crescent City, Katrina Groves in Crescent City has been doing it. So pretty much if people want to be want to approach us and feel that they're ready for medication-assisted treatment for opioid, whether they're injection drug <laughs> users or whether they're lost and can't control how many pills they take um, or whatever their uh, issue is and they need some assistance with an opiate use disorder, pretty much if they contact any of our sites, we'll know how to, how to direct them to where they need to go. And as, Brand, as Brandy said, as what we're proud of, the waiting list isn't very, isn't very long right now. Mm-hmm. I can honestly, so I daily am trying to help people navigate into treatment or medical care or something and by and large every single time we are trying open doors where it goes like because without fail like they're there um and their programs just 
the capacity keeps becoming bigger and bigger and they really are saving so many of our folks lives because like there are medical providers that open doors who we call that's what they are like our life draft i'm always like oh we need to call open door because we know that that's going to happen we know that yeah you might have to wait a couple days but if you call regularly like you're supposed to um you're going to get suboxone and so thanks open door <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. open door open door mobile med open door north country clinic all all yeah. of them amazing yeah it's it's staggering to me what you know we've been doing it for I don't know, um, at least 10 years, maybe a little bit more. He's prescribing buprenorphine for um, suboxone for uh, office-based treatment of, of opiate addiction. And when I when we started it, when I saw Julianimus and I think we're probably the first. Anyway, when we started it, um, I really thought that if we treated a substantial number of people, we would really decrease the problem. I thought we were going to be able to decrease the number of the people with abscesses in the emergency room. Mm-hmm. I thought we were going to be able to have an impact. And de- but man... It just seemed like no matter how many people we treat, there's just more. Yeah. So staggering. It's crazy. <clears throat> I. That's why when people, you know, haven't estimated how many drug users we have or estimated injection drug users we have in Humboldt, I'm, I don't know how they come up with those numbers yeah, uh, because I'm blown away every day still and, mm. you know... I've been working with drug users in this capacity for a while now, and I'm still seeing new people every single day, and they're not new drug users. They're just new to me. Mm-hmm. Well, let me um, let me sort of interject another element into it. I had a conversation just as he was leaving office with Paul Gallegos as uh, district attorney, and I started, I just kind of asked him, well, what are the things you've learned? And And, and he gave me one sentence. He said, I think that criminal justice requires more of a medical approach than it's given. And so I, I, I never got him to elaborate on that, but I imagine he's, he's talking about, um, you know, similar things. But one of the things I think about, and I, of course, you know, I, I was only like four years old when it happened, but there's, we, we hear rumors that Governor Reagan as governor cleared mm-hmm. out the, um, the mental health facilities, and that's how the homeless problem came. Where does mental health treatment fit in into this? You know, in terms of you've got the medical aspect of it, which and mental health is medical, but what are the resources there, and how does how is that approach? So, first, we're in California. We got Reaganed twice on our mental health system because yeah, he cleaned out California, and mm-hmm. then he was president. Right, yeah. so we really got the short end of the mental health stick with Reagan, <laughs> um, but. Open Door really does a lot of the mental health, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, certainly, well, it's a very difficult. Um, and and it's, it's hard to extract from um, from substance use disorder, too. They're, 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 they're commingled a lot of right. times. And, in fact, a lot of times when people do get cleaned up from um, being needing to find their next hit all day long and... Uh, then other things happen. Some people are squared away, but other people, all kinds of past traumas and other kinds of demons come, and there's mental health stuff. <clears throat> yeah, we've been working hard at expanding our thing. We, we always feel like there's not enough mm-hmm. um, support or power for, for mental health. Um, we've, we've been... Exp- Open Door has been expanding our presence in that re- in that um, arena. We feel really lucky to have Dr. Jason Christensen be kind of at... Uh, the leader of a team over there at TVSC, along with Maria Spetzler, uh, more recently Dr. Marguerite Chagog, and, and then a group of behavioral health counselors who can do intakes and do psychiatric consultations. Um, and it's, been, it's really increased our power. But I just always feel like there's way more need than there is um, a power of us to, even though we've expanded it so much and done great work with those yeah. people, there's still a lot more. It's it's what people are screaming at. They're screaming at drug use, right? That they're seeing on the side of the highway. Most of the time, you're screaming at mental health. Most mm-hmm. of the time, they're saying nasty, disgusting things about mental health. They're not. There, there might be some drugs involved, but yeah. it's usually, you know, it's really unfortunate. We, if there was enough 
mental health doctors in this community, our dream would be to have drop-in mental health available during our drop-in hours because all of our folks there are we are we are absorbing all of the crisis calls that come in right they people come and are in massive crisis and they could really benefit from having like on-demand crisis I've been also told that um, war veterans are disproportionately represented in some of these populations. Is there a way to tie them in with the VA? How does that all work, and how do they interface? There's no local VA, right? They have to go. Yeah, the there is. Is there? Uh, yeah, and I mean, I'm not actually in touch with, it, so I don't know their numbers or anything. Mm-hmm. But I know that uh, Dr. Villasenor, David Villasenor, who worked for mm-hmm. us for a couple of years, he's he was double boarded in family practice and in psychiatry. He moved over to the VA. He's doing most of psychiatry, and I know that he has been doing doing mental health for sure, doing psychiatry right. for sure. But I also I think he does quite a bit of substance abuse work there. Um, and there are other pockets around town. I just don't know their numbers or sure. Those. Um, I know that the VA actually. I think I think we have a pretty good VA here, from what I hear. Um, our consumers that are veterans. Uh, they generally don't engage with the VA. They tend to be people that feel like when they came back, they were forgotten. Mm -hmm. Um, They were told they have to, you know, live a certain way in order to be remembered for putting your life on the line for this country. And they've been on the streets for 22 years. And um, they're pretty bitter towards the VA at this moment because, you know, for... You know, for a while to get services, they had to be clean, but they were on the street, so they weren't clean, and so they couldn't get services from the VA. And so now there's this, like, walls that are built up. Um, We actually have been working with our folks to, like, really try and just put a little toe in with the VA. See? They're not too bad. Um, Just baby steps with everything. So, you know. Yeah. All right, it is, this is KHSU, you're listening to Thursday, if you're listening to KHSU, this is Thursday Night Talk. My name is Eric Kirk, guests are Brandy Wilson of Humboldt Area Center for Harm Reduction and uh, Dr. Bill Hunter of Open Door Clinic. If you'd like to join the conversation, we are talking about opiates, but it, it, as every, always, it expands into a lot of other issues because you can't really isolate them, but the phone number is 826 4805 or 800-640-5911, that's 826-4805, or 800-640-5911. And you can also send in a text at 492-KHSU, that's 492-KHSU, and all of those numbers are available online at khsu.org. Um, you're going through the things, did you have any other comments, Dr. Hunter, about the article that you wanted oh, to kind I think of play? You think you've covered it? It's, um, I mean, they, you know, the articles a lot of times, especially when they're from across country and the reporters don't don't get the full story. Right? As yeah. I said, it does help me to realize it was an advocacy piece as much as anything. So that's a good lens for me to see through. And I just, once again, wanted to share that how proud I am of our community's response. I just think it's, I think we've done a wonderful thing. And right. Continue to, and we'll continue to do it because that's what we do. Yes. That, that. That was the sad thing for me. Was it? Yeah. It was sad. And then I knew it was also going to blow back on me. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's now. We, we talk, you've talked about, of course, everybody knows you because of, of the exchange or the distribution that we talk about. You did kind of go through, but you offer other services, right? I mean, <gasps> yes. So why don't we talk <laughs> a little bit about those in a little bit more detail so that okay. people know what you do and, um, and what kind of impact you have on the community? Well, actually, this allows me to talk about Open Door even more. Good, good. That's what I'm telling you. I am like an Open Door cheerleader. One um we have a building they let us live in which has allowed us to grow this amazing program that is informed by people who use drugs as experts in their own lives and what services they need so we now um 
are in the baby stages of an HCV and hepatitis C testing to treatment program at at our facility. Um, we have put in for our CLIA license, which allows us to be a standalone testing center. And Dr. Havorka and her team mm-hmm. are going to be our folks' um, treatment provider for HCV alone. And then we're going to, we do um, some case management to help make sure people get into everything else uh, that they need to be successful. We have a clothing closet that is run by a peer who once was only a consumer and now comes and volunteers each day we're open and gives back to our program um we have a kitchen program which is um we get a lot of our food from food for people and that is run also by a peer and um they make the food they ensure everybody's washing their hands and all of the sanitation is um, done and I oversee it and uh, they cook and they really do a lot of regulation and in that kitchen is where all of the conversations happen um, the conversations that get people into everything else they need that we don't have there Um, we absolutely one of the things that we want that we don't have yet is um suboxone program within our program um that actually is being shown to be very successful throughout the country and it's something we want really bad um one because our folks want that and they keep asking us for it and two the more services we can have under one roof the better chance we're going to have and so those aren't things that our squarely program can do all by itself. Those are things that we need community partners for. And that's why we love open door so much. They're (laughs) like, yeah, we'll be your community partner. Um, yay. And yeah. Um, where do you get your clothing that you give? You mentioned the clothing closet. We do a lot of different drives like HSU sociology and criminology department. Just finished a large supply and clothing drive for us. And filled up a huge office full. Well, they filled up an office like completely full of stuff. It's amazing. Um, and then once a year, we have an anything warm drive in November. Mm-hmm. And then we've had this amazing thing happen recently. As people have had access to clean clothes, they're coming back every day, especially our folks who are engaging in more services, and they just want to change their clothes now. And they want to know if they can drop these clothes off to be washed and put back in the clothing, clothing closet. And <laughs> for our folks that are coming every day, that's a beautiful idea because they don't want to take all these clothes so that they're not reusable. And that was their idea. I and then when the laundry is full, then one of them takes it to the laundromat and washes it and brings it back. And so, yeah. All right. Uh, that makes and, me happy. And who do you serve? Who, who you know, qualifies for assistance from your organization, so to speak? People that say they do. There you go. That, um, yeah. If do they're you, there. If you say you means, need our services, yeah. then I believe you. Mm-hmm. Um, and... You know, we get a lot of s- flack for a couple of things that we do. Okay. Uh, no, go ahead. Um, we get a lot of flack for a couple of the things we do. One is the safe snorting kits. Um, we give three s- brand new s- straws and a plastic razor blade and a plastic um, card. And that is because staph infection can in your nose um there are mucous membranes in your nose but by and large it's because many times people want to stop um injection practices so many times throughout the day so if Mm -hmm. if we provide them with the ability that helps all right we're going to attempt a recording of a phone call we're not live tonight but um a a recording from an anonymous nurse i believe rn uh i've been a registered nurse in this community for 21 years now and i've um experienced the small small town versus the bigger eureka um community medicine um with the medication assisted programs that have been discussed tonight i i've experienced um, a lot of sense of 
entitlement with some of these patients and a lot of lack of boundaries on the provider's part and um, the mixed messages of this uh, county overall with the law enforcement being um, pretty much bought out by um, big grow um, industry. Um, I think that there's a, a lot of confusion and a lot of where to go from here. Um, and as a registered nurse myself, um, it's confusing to navigate where to go next and how to help the whole entire medical community, not just um, folks with opioid addictions. Um, so those are some of my questions. Okay. Um, do you, anybody you want to address that? I'm, there was a lot in there. Um, <laughs> yeah, I feel like there was a lot of statements. I wasn't. I can't quite really tease out a specific question as to what. I mean, uh, I can speak to the entitlement piece. Sure. Um, people with medical issues are entitled to proper care. They are entitled to the to their health. They are entitled to decisions about their own body and they are entitled to the treatment that anyone else with any other disease would get. Um, I myself have encountered numerous times where um, medical providers might be a little bit and not ones that I deal with on a daily basis, but other ones might be a little bit judgy about if someone is taking Suboxone and you are a new doctor or mm-hmm. I know that there are some pretty judgy uh, people mm-hmm. out in the medical world. There, are, there, I, there is one thing, and this might be too nuanced for this, for this kind of forum, but there is one thing that we do struggle with in our program and that might be one thing the caller is addressing in terms of boundaries and mixed messages is there's this kind of dynamic tension between um, wanting to do harm reduction and wanting to help people wherever they are and at the same time having a, a degree of accountability and kind of tough love so like for example if we're treating people with suboxone and people then um, lie to us or misuse their medications or if we find them to be diverting or something like that then we're caught in this situation where we want to have boundaries and we want to be firm about that and very and frequently we will say something like, well, it, our program isn't working for you. We're not able to meet your needs at this time. If you're ready to come back and engage with us fully, then you can, but we can't keep going now. And at which point our providers will make that call and say, no, we're not doing you right. You need to go, some, you need to go away. And others will say, well, we'll give you another chance here. There's always a little bit of give and take, and there's a little continuum there, and we always try to... Uh, communicate with each other about that's very very tricky and very hard to get it right every time i imagine real hard i imagine burnout and getting jaded is a you know is a struggle and that's i wouldn't want to be in in y'all's position of (laughs) deciding when to cut someone off because you know you're right in the harm reduction world i'm like well if you have this tool and you have this tool with you all the time then maybe you'll use less of that more often and then maybe we'll get to keep you longer so but then I know that when, when we cut them off, they go back to using fully, and then we might lose them. So on this end, I'm always like, well, stop screwing around then. Like, mm. So <laughs> that's my internal, like, please, can we just let people take Suboxone? But my vocal is, will you just stop screwing around then and get on Suboxone right? <laughs> so, <laughs> All right. We have uh, a question to be read uh, over there, Michael has it for us. Yes, we do. Actually, I have two if we think we can knock out both at once. We don't have a lot of time left. Sure. All right. So the first is, um, since there are changes in the needle exchange program, is anyone going to be monitoring the (laughs) rise in needle transmitted diseases? Um, You guys might have already spoken on that uh, issue earlier. Um, So, yeah. And then the other one is, I suggest you put out a call to private mental health to sign up for to sign up for a pro bono client every three months, you can get our attention. Is that other comment? Okay. That'd be a cool. Pro bono client, like like I could put a call out to mental health. To, to suggest hey, that e- everybody who is a mental health provider take on a new pro bono client every three months. <gasps> That's a beautiful idea. 
Thanks, caller. <laughs> um, did you want to address whether or not anybody is going to be monitoring changes in infectious diseases? Well, we're tra- we track it. It's very it, it, public health data is very difficult to get right. So, like, we would like to know, for example, um, all the new cases of hepatitis C. Uh, which is our kind of number one thing. So, but it, it's very difficult data to get because we we report this data off a lab test when we have when we have a positive hepatitis C, but we're not very good at distinguishing when that infection was encountered. So, right. we, if we're screening baby boomers who got their hepatitis C from a blood transfusion in 1982, that's a different thing than if someone was sharing a needle last week and got their hepatitis C. And we're not very good at teasing that out. We. We're, we're trying to get more sophisticated about that. And I think Brandy and her group are trying to work on that kind of thing. Well, we also have a high rate of boomers who are injection drug users, too, right. which is also a large issue here, um, which is a little different than other places. Everybody's seeing a rise in their youngsters. We're staying pretty pretty solid with our mid to late <laughs> lifers, <laughs> like in our drugs. Um, But yeah, no, everybody is really trying to work on getting that data and watching those disease rates. Um, And in all reality, as we have the capacity to test more and treat more, our rates of HCZ, HCV, we're likely to see those go up, not because they're new, but because we're testing more. We're screening more. (laughs) Right. So if we see them go up, that's actually... A way we can gauge success in our testing, right. our testing and, outreach. And that will confound our ability to figure out whether needle whether exchange is actually out. changing the transmission rates. We have sure. to go on faith with that. I, I just wanted to say about hepatitis C, you say a couple of things. One, th- one is that these new drugs are a huge breakthrough. So, um, and, and they're getting cheaper. So it's, it, I'm, we, we foresee the time not too long where we'll be able to treat most people with hepatitis C. What does the medication do for them? It's the, it kills the virus. It cures it them. Really? It's wow. amazing. Mm-hmm. Okay. And sustained viral response. That means cure. So, and within, in most uncomplicated cases, currently one pill a day for eight weeks. I didn't realize that. I just assumed it was one you had to manage, like AIDS. No, wow. no, it's a cure. It's, wow. it's amazing. Mm-hmm. To cure a chronic disease is a phenomenal thing. And, and it has huge importance. I mean, when I, um, we talk about the opioid deaths, but what, one thing you don't talk about is on the other end of the hepatitis C epidemic, in the clinic where I work in, Eureka Community Health Center, we review all the deaths every, at, at intervals. Every month, or every two months, we review all our deaths. And we have... On a typical de- review day, we have more of our patients who have died from liver di- disease than from cardiac disease, mm-hmm. which is was jaw dropping to me when I when I realized that. We, and so, if we can get in there and get rid of the hepatitis C, then that prevents the, all that downstream stuff. And it's it's really exciting time to be. But, but liver disease that. can be brought on by alcohol yes. and mm-hmm. a lot of other things yes. too, right? right. Yeah. But the bulk Another of it is hepatitis drug. C. <laughs> yes, the, the bulk the bulk of it is hepatitis C, and right. and with alcohol, mm-hmm. because if you if you have cirrhosis of the liver and you're a drinker and you quit mm-hmm. drinking, you have a reasonable chance of your liver regenerating. But if you also have hepatitis C, it just doesn't regenerate the same sure. way. All right, we're getting towards the top of the hour here. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to allow each of you, yeah, we're at one minute, um, maybe give out some contact information as to how people can get involved and help uh, do, you know, anything, how donations, anything like that. We love donations. We love help. We love students, interns. Um, we operate on a lot of free labor and love. So if you feel like joining a pretty boundary pushing um (laughs) and it's been said we're cutting edge by a few national organizations um if you like joining us uh our phone number is 707 601 oh no that was almost mine (laughs) haha 707-407-6013 that's hatcher's phone number and our email is H-A-C-H-R 707 at gmail.com All right, and any closing words? Oh, I appreciate the opportunity to to hear more about this. I feel like I've learned something from the perspective of the the New York Times article, and I'm grateful for a chance to share a little bit with the community about the work that we're doing. All right. Thank you, Dr. Bill Hunter and Brandy Wilson, for being here. Thank you, Michael, for engineering. A little bit of a challenge tonight. Thank you. And until next time, we'll talk to you uh, next month.
You've been listening to Thursday Night Talk on KHSU. Thank you to our host, Eric Kirk, and to our guests, Brandy Wilson and Dr. Bill Hunter. We'd love to get feedback on our programs. Please email Thursday Night Talk at khsu.org and like our Facebook page, Thursday Night Talk on KHSU.